This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. Craig, my tummy hurts. Why? What happened? Because I've eaten too much candy. <laughs> you waddled up to a house and just took a bite of the gutter and, you know. I feel like we've, I don't know why, I don't know when. Somebody in, somebody in Discord can probably set us straight. I feel like we have done a bit where we've talked about living in a house made of candy before, and I don't think we. Can. <laughs> and I don't. Is that true? I think we. Ha- I could. I would swear on a stack of Bibles that we've done it. We've never done Hansel or Gretel or like Grimm or anything. No, I just think in the space of nearly six hundred episodes, yeah. The, uh, like short notice free association intro thing that we do has taken us to a house made of candy place before. Well, okay, sure. Would you also like, maybe we could do another redo. Would you like to start this episode with me pointing out how you tell people not to do things, which is what mm-hmm. we did in episode 32? I don't know. I mean, sometimes people shouldn't do stuff. Yeah, you just you have you know everybody has their stock ways. I'm not, to ask I'm not for trying to tell to... you not to do anything. I was going to follow up my own reference to eating a bunch of candy oh. with the observation that I'm certain that we've done a candy yeah. house. Oh, before. Sh- yeah, and just sure. I'm sorry that we burned it before we read a book <laughs> by Jennifer Egan called The Candy House. Yeah, I'm sorry that we that we fired that one off and didn't mm-hmm. save it. You mm-hmm. know. Um, you never. I mean, you just never. It's it's like using your MP restoration items in an in an RPG. You gotta like, use you just, them. You just keep them forever because you never. Maybe you'll need them more later. <laughs> I've played a Resident <laughs> Evil game, and I know that you just use the bullets they give you. Mm-hmm. But what if you need them more later? <laughs> no, you're gonna spend two hours getting really good at killing a zombie with a knife, and you can use that to like go outside. Mm. Or get good at a different knife in a different game. game. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) So this is our book podcast where each week one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. I chose to read The Candy House (laughs) by Jennifer Egan. No one made me do it. It is. I guess it is frequently the case that we're reading things because people made us. Well, yeah, it's a thing that we have decided is allowed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. but also, we sometimes we choose books, and this is a book... And sometimes that, books choose us. Hey. If you think about it. Let me spin this chair around and talk to you for a second. Uh, <laughs> this is a sequel, a follow-up, a... Squeakquel? Squeakquel to um, A Visit from the Goon Squad, mm-hmm. the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel from 2012 that Jennifer Egan wrote. And as I alluded to earlier, we talked about all the way back on episode 32. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in 2013, which is been a while. It's been a while. Been a while. So this book came out last I, year, though. I can't believe she didn't call it Revisiting the Goon Squad. I just don't like why would you this is this book won a Pulitzer Prize. Why would you? This is like HBO renaming their app to Max. Like, why would you? <laughs> why would you drop not it? Capitalize on that brand synergy. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Well, she did. I did read an interview with her where she talked about like this. Partially approaching this book was about like the challenges it posed her to like mm-hmm. come up with her way into the book. And so maybe she looked at that. Like she talks about it being like it being a follow-up is a challenge. It continuing this style of different characters. Every chapter is a challenge. It yada, yada, yada. Maybe one of the challenges was not branding it with the goon squad branding and seeing how it would do. Mm -hmm. She's just, you know, she's, she likes to push herself, I guess. <laughs> it's also clear. I mean, the, the book was called A Visit from the Goon Squad, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's clear that they never, the Goon Squad never left. 
No, they've been there the whole time. Uh, she says uh, this is in a Time uh, article, like an interview with her about okay. Candy House that has a lot of good quotes in it. Um, she says it felt like it was never really over for me. Uh, she began writing parts of the candy house while on tour for goon squad, creating small anecdotes that only begat more questions. Yeah. So sure. yeah, definitely like the, the Genesis of this, even though it took her a while to find like what the, what the thread was or what like the reason to go back was the Genesis of it happens like right after goon squad comes out and just keeps kind of burbling while she's working on other stuff Ooh, burbling yeah burbling, yeah, burbling. burbling. <laughs> so back in the 30s andrew we weren't doing full author setup so maybe we should do a little oh, the, table the episode yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and no, i get you back in the 30s uh so back in the Jennifer, 30s Jennifer we weren't Egan. doing Full author setups. And mm, now we go to Andrew. Recording back from pod- the war. Podcasts in our Hoovervilles. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Egan is an American novelist. She was born in 1962. <laughs> uh, like you said, we read Visit from the Goose Squad back in 2013, just a couple of years after it had come out. That's wild. Uh, she uh, majored in English lit at the University of Pennsylvania. One of the big biographical things about her that I think came out in that Walter Isaacson, Steve Jobs biography oh, yeah is that she briefly dated steve jobs oh while he was running apple the first time and while she was in school oh uh, and so he was simultaneously working on like they they were dating and then steve jobs was simultaneously working on the macintosh and also denying the paternity of his first daughter <laughs> and uh he apparently just came in into her like dorm room and set up a mac in there for her which I huh. guess that's a thousands of dollars of computer back in back in those days. Um, but there's a there's a character in this in this book who invents like a a tech thing that most of the book revolves around, which is my understanding. Yeah. And I she is she has said that there's a little of jobs in that. Of Steve she says, in there. Yes. Uh seeing quote, seeing how much people who invent things are really true believers, I think that some of that really comes from him. And maybe the awe with which a tech icon is treated. Yeah, sure. So, thinking about that. That actually explains, hmm, it doesn't actually explain it, but that that does give the depiction of Bix in this book an interesting foundation. Because when you're reading this book here in April 2023, uh, it is difficult to escape the tech... Uh, personality du jour mm-hmm. that is just the main character Who are you talking of, about? of the internet. <laughs> Who are you talking um, about? Elmo Musk. You know, <laughs> that guy. Uh, yeah, it's that that energy I've, is not in this book. I don't like this is this hits me in a like a groany place the same way that when people like invent stupid nicknames for donald trump and act like i ah, got him mr trump yeah but uh some people call him phony stark <laughs> which is like good wordplay at least i at that least have to good. I give like it that. up for for that um, <laughs> um she did so, meet uh, her actual husband at upenn though uh I not, saw fa- that... not those fake husbands that she no. had before <laughs> no nor steve jobs mm-hmm. uh because i think she went before she studied english she wanted to be an archaeologist i read and then mm-hmm. Met her husband, who is a theater director, um, who specializes in radical updates of classics, according huh. to one article I read. Huh? So. Like, well, kind of like Steve Jobs updated the concept of the cellular telephone. <sighs> she's got the, a type iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> she sure <laughs> uh, So she's written a bunch of short stories and novels. Her first novel, The Invisible Circus, was released in 1995. It made a movie that. Yeah, they made a movie of that, and I don't know anything about it except nope. that it has the most like. We only expect this to make a little money, like '90s movie poster I've ever seen. Oh wow! Are you looking it up? Yeah, it's, it's just like, yeah. This some is, heads. This, this is a mid-budget, uh, mid you know, middling budget, middling return, sort of like wow book based movie and it has like 90s movie font i don't know how to describe what makes the font 90s it just is yeah i just i know it when i see it yep um technically both goon squad and candy house sort of straddle the line between short story collection and novel but she kind of resists calling them either thing um 
Other books of hers include a 93 short story collection called Emerald City. It was published in 93 in the UK and I think 96 here. Uh, and then she has a book called Look at Me from 2001, The Keep from 2006, Goon Squad, and then uh, Manhattan Beach uh, from 2017. That was what came out between Goon Squad and this. Okay. Uh, and then Goon Squad won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. It was listed on a bunch of like, not just best books of the year, but best books of the decade, like yep. end of end of decade lists. Yep. Uh, as the 2010s drew to a close. And yeah, she just is... She she seems like a cool lady. I read like nine interviews with her, <laughs> um, mostly focused on like her her rationale for revisiting this universe and writing sure. this book and how she's thinking about it. But uh, yeah, she she seems. We read Normal People a while ago, and unlike Sally Rooney, like none of the interviews were about like her coping with the fame of being no like a, a notable author it's the, it's still much more about like her motivations and stuff the closest quotes i found to that were people interviewing her and her talking about like recommending goon squad to people and being like yes i mean it won the pulitzer but you'll still enjoy it like it's still that doesn't mean <laughs> like she's she's much more uh you know she's playful about it she doesn't seem kind of maybe it's a little because it's happening a little later in her career i don't know um but she just seems to have a perspective on it that's like, yeah, I get that that is important and I get that that is uh, cool, but I don't want that to be an obstacle. I don't want she doesn't want the like the postmodern label to turn people off either. Mm-hmm. Um, this book, I think uh, Candy House is a little less overtly, uh, for lack of a better word, experimental than Goon Squad is. Goon Squad has the famous like PowerPoint, the, power, the PowerPoint chapter, chapter that nearly every interview I read yep. mentioned, and a really I found a really moving and and affecting um, second person chapter um in goon squad there's a there's a version you of only a, you only do second person perspective stuff in fiction if you're trying to stunt a little bit uh, it's pretty good that you, guy's because, high because, the whole time it's great because it's and it's tragic like, it's just your your author brain being like you know people use first person people use third person <laughs> there's a whole nother person that we don't really that we don't really pay that much attention yep. to. let's do it she uses a version of it here too it's pretty good but mm-hmm. there isn't quite the the oper- the operatic quality of the PowerPoint presentation sure. here. Um, I guess either you're stunting or you're writing a choose your own adventure book. Hey. Because there's a lot of second person. Why not both? But so so you're telling me there's no like Excel spreadsheet story in in candy house. Like there's no chat there, there's not the you know the famous SharePoint chapter. Well <laughs> there <laughs> is now um there's a chapter called See Below Andrew and maybe it was composed in Microsoft Outlook. I don't know because it is all emails. Interesting. And it is, I would say, and I'll, I'll talk about this later in the episode. I think it is the most interesting email writing I've seen in a book ever. Okay. Not, but not like only in a book. You're not, we're not expanding that to include like flash cartoons from the early 2000s. <laughs> no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or like really good chain letters mm-hmm. or. You know, leaked Enron emails or whatever. Yeah, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna let you finish, but Strong Bad answered the best <laughs> e- emails of all time. Yeah. I didn't say in all of fiction, just mm-hmm. in a book. All in a book. Yeah. Good. Um, well, let's take a quick break, and then I can tell you about this book. Sounds great. Andrew Overdue is brought to you by BetterHelp. When's the last time you learned something new about yourself, Andrew? Today, yesterday, the day before? Uh, probably, probably like yesterday. Yeah. Well, when it? I don't know, I was out working in the yard, and I was like, "This is fun, but it's hot outside." And the new thing that I discovered about myself <laughs> is that I only like doing things when I'm comfortable. I guess <laughs> that's an important thing to know about yourself. <laughs> We're going to talk later in this episode about people using fancy VR subconsciousness machines to get mm-hmm. to know themselves. Sure. Um, and Andrew likes to go out into his yard, but you don't need to do either of those things. You can, you know, get to know yourself in a process on your own time, and you don't, you know, need any of these tools to do it. You could just try therapy with BetterHelp. Therapy uh, is a pretty cool thing, I think. It can help you better understand yourself. 
help you talk through your day-to-day experiences, dive into issues that you're having at work or in a relationship. Uh, I can help you set boundaries or set some goals that will help you be your best self. Uh, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online and is designed to be convenient and flexible so you can easily connect with a licensed therapist. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash overdue. Andrew, Craig, ask me anything about the candy house. Um, I would. L- is it a now? We is it a can? Is it a house made candy? Is are we talking like Grand- Hansel and Gretel, Granzel and Hedel? <laughs> is it like a, a candy witch kid enticement situation? It is a book about... Or is it like a metaphor or something? It's a metaphor. Oh, man. The it exact would be better quote, if it was a, can- a house-made candy. I, be- I, I wrote down the quote, and then when I was leafing through my uh, hard copy of the book, I couldn't find where the book the quote is from. Um, so I can't remember exactly which story this is in, but it is about uh, the technology in the book, which we'll dive into, which is kind of a next-level social media technology oh good um yes Great. the quote is nothing is free only children expect otherwise even as myths and fairy tales warn us rumpelstiltskin king midas hansel and gretel never trust a candy house it was only a matter of time before someone made them pay for what they thought they were getting for free i see i see so I think there's some interesting. So, you, so you're you're eating this candy house, and then suddenly you get one of those pop ups. Is like well, it looks like you're using an ad blocker. <laughs> would you like to su- <laughs> would you like to support our candy house? This candy house was baked with dark patterns. Um, <laughs> so it's an interesting metaphor for like something that is appealing, something that you like, something that's tempting but might be harmful or might be kind of monkey pawsy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think. That there's like an there's an extra resonance for me as I was thinking about it that this is a book about a lot of wayward children. Mm-hmm. Um, the like main characters of the Goon Squad are on some of the pages in this book, but they are not the focus of this book. And the majority of the characters we do spend time with are children of those characters or children of people who knew those characters or a lot of people are defined in relationship to their parents or their siblings in this book yeah so i want to know i've I've got a quote i'm going to read a quote from that time interview again about about her approach to to candy house and i just want to know like why it's a sequel i guess uh this is sure uh, but she didn't want to simply retread her old ideas lest she be accused of recycling Goon Squad's immense success. She had to come up with new storytelling mechanisms, new protagonists, a completely different thematic conceit. After toying with many different ways in, she landed on the idea of centering Bix and his rapidly changing technological innovations as a way to tackle all three requirements. Uh, the evolution of telecommunications technology is the story I've witnessed in my lifetime without question, Egan says. Um, and then she talks a little bit about her kids who are 1921. Um, and so the, the, the technological device in the book, as I understand it, is like this cube that is, it exists outside of yourself that you can like put your memories and experiences in, and then other people can like interface with your cube and experience your memories as though they are experiencing them. Quick, quick, um, not full on correction. You've almost got it. So mm-hmm. you, there is the mandala cube. Mm-hmm. which is where you upload your memories. Mm-hmm. Um, what is interesting, and that is the the product, uh, the original software is called Know Your Own Unconscious, like all, mm-hmm. you know, intercaps and whatever. It's a lot of words, but yeah. sure. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an odd name for a thing. But um, there is it called like brain, but with no vowels somehow. <laughs> like, I- yeah, she doesn't <laughs> actually do any app stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um there is a character who the second that she uploads it all, she realizes that like now all of the things that she's experiencing are not in the cube. And I just think about that for a second. Like, Wait. 
because what? the cube you have to manually like it's, oh it's it's you know, it doesn't continuously it's not like a Dropbox situation where it's continuously syncing it's a no it's an Apple time like a machine plug, plug yeah. your iPod into yes. the iTunes and, yes and upload the new uh, group love album to it or <laughs> correct yes uh huh um, but then I think it's it's something like a decade after this product hits market the next phase of it is that you can anonymously upload your data to the collective consciousness and then other people can use can go into this swimming morass of memories and time and you can sort of like do searches by people's faces and stuff none of this is like really well explained on purpose she's very Mm -hmm. fuzzy you can imagine um a a more like hard genre approach to this aspect of the story that is really interested in like how it works and why that's the way it works and she is like ah this is like a timey-wimey memory machine that people are using that i'm gonna you know have in the world to explore our relationship to ourselves our memories and technology, sure, you know. But um, she she explains a so her kids, uh, she says this is just just an interesting riff on this this idea and like how close we are to it in real life. Sure, um, she says they watch uh, people play games on Twitch, and she says of her kids, quote, watching a gamer narrate their experience is so much like being inside another consciousness that it gets the closest in a way to what fiction does. Uh, but it's also totally performative. There's a slight disingenuousness at the core of it as we're only hearing the thoughts they want us to know. And that's exactly why I cannot stand watching people play games on Twitch or like <laughs> let's play stuff on YouTube because it's all just like some 26 year old doing a goofy voice and like reading all the like the text in a JRPG and like sc- just screaming. It's mostly screaming. There are a lot of streamers that I don't watch that are mm-hmm. that yeah there are some streamers i watch that are a lot chiller yeah some people just don't talk which some I think people is great. also don't talk they <laughs> they play music that twitch will later take down yes <laughs> you know there are streamers in this book she references mm-hmm. it multiple times there are mm-hmm. people who live stream their consciousness into the collective mm-hmm which kind of messes up the whole upload your stuff anonymously thing um, but, I mean, anonymously is all relative. Like we yes. we all know, like Google, Microsoft, whoever will tell you, yeah, your your data is not personally identifiable, and nobody can trace it back to you. But there's stuff, there's tricks. Well, you know, there's tricks. And what is interesting in that regard is like the way this technology seems to work. There's a couple different things you can do with it. Is at one point that we get a flashback of Bix like showing his own memories to his kids like on a TV or something. He's like, look, no, I guess they're wearing like weird, you know, meta headsets or whatever. Boy. And he's like, and then you got, I mean, you got to film their reactions to put them on YouTube. <laughs> he's no, he's like, um, you know, this is a part of my life where I didn't have an idea and I had a breakthrough and I had an idea. Let me show you he's like weird dad. Shut up. Um, it's it's not like watch a kid experience memories of the Nintendo Game Boy for the no, first time. <laughs> no, it isn't. Okay. Um, but then you can also like triangulate people in time if enough, like say you and I uploaded our memories into the collective consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then if someone was looking for someone that you and I had like gone out for a beer with mm-hmm. like they could access that and see that person it does make me curious about finding the memories like two people's memories of the same event yeah and how uh-huh. that would, I don't don't know if that's a thing that the book explores but like before we okay before we get too deep before you do plot synopsis stuff <laughs> yeah. to the extent what? that it can be oh, easily like, summed up um, so I know that the like the brain the Nintendo Brain Cube is yep. the is the <laughs> like the connective tissue yes. internally to this book. Yeah. What does it have to do with Goon Goon Squad? Like is, I, I, I know there I know there are characters, 
but like what are the what are the thematic connections why not just make it a whole bunch of like new characters but a book kind of written in the same style well so hmm i i think that might be a false uh not it's not quite a false dichotomy but i think the fact that she wanted to write it in a similar style may have been part of what made her write it using some of the same characters i think she is the the web of people that she made for Goon Squad, I was doing some Google searching. There are a lot of folks who made their own, like, here's a, you know, terrifyingly complex map of the people in Visit from the Goon Squad and, mm-hmm. you know, how they're all related to each other. I thought you were going to say that people had, like, rolled their own goons and were writing <clears throat> no. Goon Squad fan fiction. Well, maybe. I haven't been to AO3 people. lately. Mm-hmm. Um but then I found people who were like superimposing Candy House maps on the Goon oh, Squad God. character maps. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I think that, so like, f- first point, I think maybe Egan was just like, this is an interesting network. I'm interested in a different mode of what that network might feel like. So let me just keep playing in that space. Um, I think at the end of Goon Squad, there is this concert. We get some allusions to Bix inventing social media as we understand it before he invents the super social media that is in this book. It's like the sort of Facebook, Twitter era. Yeah. Um, And some allusions to him doing it, though that's explored more here. And then there's also this concert at the end of Goon Squad where people are like, uh, the idea of like paid influencers mm-hmm. is like part of the story. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that back in 2013 being like, well, that's like just starting to happen. That's kind of <laughs> weird. Uh, and looking back on it, it's like, yeah, okay. She knew what was up. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this, so I think like maybe there's some, you know, she's interested in tech. She's interested in, in our relationship to it and, and how it reflects our age in relationship to it. I don't know. There's a reason she said all that stuff in like the rock and roll record world, because like that culture is so driven by like the hot new thing that like having characters age in relationship to it is very important. Mm -hmm. This book is like, I think doing, it's not quite the other side of the coin, but this book is a lot of people looking not looking backwards for like, oh, I wish I were still the young person or how did I get to this present? These are people being like, wow, I wonder if that other person's experience is what I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a, there's a, I don't know, she's turned the camera in a different direction on on time, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that might that to me is like the, I don't know why she was like, well, I can only do it with these characters. Mm-hmm. But I think... She may have also decided, well, it might be hard to do with these characters, so that sounds fun. Let's do Sounds challenging. Or like yes. I have I have snippets with these characters anyway, so like let me use the snippets that I I did have see already. It. Just go just going back to her yeah. thinking like on the Goon Squad book tour, like what what else are these people up to? I think it was a Daily Beast interview where I saw her saying like I didn't want to write a book that people would say is like a faint echo of Goon Squad. And if whatever I was doing ever felt like that, I would just never show it to anybody. <laughs> uh, and that's also why she said she never like entertained. Let me just take one character from Goon Squad and write a book about them. Like that didn't feel right, sure. Either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a. I don't know. I really enjoyed being in this book, but I really wish I could just like upload my thoughts on it to you instead of having to say them because <laughs> it's not going to be easy. I mean, listen, if the if the brain cube takes off, that's like that's it for podcasters. Like yep. I'm I'm already as a as a writer on the internet, I am already aware teetering on the cusp yep. of uh machine caused irrelevance and if oh, yeah. if the brain if the brain cube does that and i can't even fall back on my like my second my side thing that's gonna be bad it's gonna saying. be bad mm-hmm. it's gonna be bad we're gonna have to get we're gonna have to invest in the brain cube now yeah or just like make sure we're uploading really rad thoughts all the time god <laughs> it's just a... thinking of people 
having the like the broadest, most performative experiences that they possibly can so they can upload them to their brain cube so they can get extra engagement from so, people makes me so miserable <laughs> that this book is not interested in that at all Let me, yeah and that's so, and that's that's just where my brain went no like yeah Im- imposing the incentives and the structures of modern social media on yes the brain cube no what's fascinating about this book is she is like um there's a there there are versions of inauthentic identity Mm-hmm. But it seems like, for the most part, the collective consciousness stuff is like it eschews that entirely in some ways that are very, very good, or at least like seem good, but people still find unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. So, in the like falsified performative internet identity thing, that there's a lot in this book about you know whether or not you're being your authentic self. Um, there's a whole chapter about this kid named Alfred who his whole life he just kind of he's like what if um, Holden Caulfield didn't just call people phonies inside his own head but he called them phonies to their face like all the time and so what if Holden Caulfield was was worse yeah <laughs> was even he, less pleasant to spend time he with. is uh, <laughs> in his life he embarks on a project of just screaming in public spaces to like make mm-hmm. people uncomfortable to the point where they have to behave authentically sure and that behavior um, has, you know, elicits the responses you might think from other people in his life. Uh, Stop screaming at me. Yes. <laughs> Is the uh, main one. But so that's that's one version of authenticity. He actually like this is a, a recurring theme of the book is he meets someone when he's you know grown up. Uh, that he went to high school with that he thought was like a cool guy who was really authentic. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you know, he's got big divorced guy energy. And he's like... Just like peak, peaked in high school energy. Very big peaked in high school energy. And he's just like a run... You know, he's just a person now. And yeah. his girlfriend is like, why, why are you like letting this guy be a mess in front of you? And like, why aren't you screaming at him to be more authentic? Mm-hmm. And, and Alfred has to like realize the truth of like, no, the truth is right here. This is just what this guy is, and he knows. Like, I Uh-oh. don't need to yell at him. And like, mm-hmm. that's a that's like Alfred's chapter of the book. Um, there are uh, your internet persona, Andrew. People mm-hmm. have started doing what is called eluding, which is spell that for me. E l u d e, like when you okay. elude a captor. Okay. Or someone chasing you, mm-hmm. and, and not so, like when you're referencing another literary. No, not elude, <laughs> elude. <laughs> okay. Um, and so people have. Bec- I think some of this might start before the brain cube stuff happens, but people don't kind of want to go off the digital grid mm-hmm. because, like, big big data does happen in this universe, and there are, there's a whole chapter where these people who are called counters are clearly like using the available public data of people's behavior and whatever to like, you know, probably sell it and whatever. Sure. Um, And so there are people who are called eluders that want to not have that done to them. And so they hire proxies whose job are just to like, when people try to reach you on the internet, uh, they, they write back instead. (laughs) And I was reading that port. That was a chapter that I was like, Oh, this is like, if I, if you're writing this now, you might account for like, you know, the current large language model AI stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, in the book, it's implied that these are actual people doing the proxy work, but, Mm -hmm. uh, so people are like escaping from their online identities and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But then the collective unconsciousness is like you are getting unfettered versions of yourself if you're going back and watching your own brain cube. Ugh, I, ugh, I just thought about like what if listening to myself talk was yeah. five times worse than it is. Yep. Oh, well, no. Oh, no. There's some oh, middle chat. I, mm-hmm. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> and and not only about yourself, but there are you can you know, you might have access to a family member's Mandala Cube. So you could go and like watch their memories. And basically you go into like a VR of their head. And uh. the technology is so powerful that it's not just like, here's what they saw. It is also like, here's what they were thinking. 
Here's what they were processing. Here's some things it's they just, didn't even know they were noticing. You know, I mean, when you remember something embarrassing that you did like 10 years ago and you are yep. just overcome with this visceral feeling of of like re-embarrassment. Uh-huh. Like when like those people who took like LSD and then like 30 years later they <laughs> yeah. had an LSD. You crack your you crack your back and all of a sudden you're on a different you're tripping planet. Again? Yeah. yeah, it is it is that, except what if I could with crystal clarity see what actually happened and feel how I was actually feeling instead of just feeling this like echo of of what it what was happening oh man this sucks this is the worst well and one of the one of the bad examples is i think this is uh there's a chapter called what the forest remembers and this is the few chapters in a row of Wait, do trees have brain cubes i don't hmm okay anyway go ahead. anyway um there's a few chapters in a row of daughter's of this guy Luke Lou Klein, who is a record producer, he is the mentor to Benny Salazar, who's one of the protagonists of Goon Squad. Okay, and a few chapters in a row, uh, each of these women at various points in their lives intersect with the brain cube technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and in what the forest remembers, Charlene uses the mandala to explore this like trip that her dad took in the 60s he went off into the woods with some guys they found some weed they like partied with some people and i think like she thinks it's going to be this revelatory experience and like bring her closer to her dad in some way or something mm-hmm. and it's kind of disappointing because it's like i don't know he was a guy he met some people they shook hands he started a business like it's not it doesn't teach her anything at all yeah that could i mean yeah that's kind of the opposite of like what if what if you went back to this moment that's like legendary and storied and and everybody talks about it and the story has been like magnified and retold over and over again with this imperfect game of telephone and you go back to see how what it actually was and Mm -hmm. it's completely disappointing yep the Hmm. or what if it's hurtful so in the next chapter roxy uh, another of lou's daughters i believe um she is she struggles with addiction there's this awesome like not awesome but there's this cool uh section where she is uh talking about D and a D game that's being run at her rehab center mm-hmm. where they all get to talk about like different characters and how people assume identities and egan is really smart and has roxy talk about like well just like you know mages and barbarians have special moves like I, as a recovering addict, have special moves that involve, like, knowing when people are, like, willing to sell something. And, like, it's like she uses almost like on a D&D character sheet, you have, like, different special abilities, uh, the different things that she has learned to do in her life as someone who's, like, dealing with addiction and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. buying and selling drugs. Sure. Um, it's just interesting, like, how Egan does that. It's very sleight of handy in a way that's very impressive. But... She gets her own mandala cube, and she's like, okay, I'm just going to use it for me, for my own memories, for my dad's memories, bingo, bango. That's all I'm going to do. And she goes to this trip when she was a teenager that her dad took her on. So he's going to go to London and you know see some cool new music or whatever. And this, for her, in her memory, is this like, this was when my dad and I bonded. It's like this core part of our relationship together. It was very important to me. And like the one of the first things she learns, like as they're on the plane, is her dad is thinking, Man, I wish I didn't have to bring her on this trip. Jeez. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and she goes into this mandala experience being like, This is gonna be a private thing. I'm not bought into the collective consciousness idea. Cause it's not a mandatory like social like a lot of social media, it's not a mandatory thing, but just like people do it, right? That is a that is a key thing thing that Egan talked about in a bunch of interviews. It's yeah. Like, here's from the from the time interview she says this is this is a this is something that I have thought about a lot is uh quote, it's so incredible to think of how wrong George Orwell got it. It's not that anyone forces screens into every home. It's that we invite them. Yep. Yep. And so that's like, you know, your your Alexas and like yep. the entire army of Amazon robots and all the like the video doorbells that we use that is that cops can just look through all the time at any given for, for you know. Ugh. What I think is the 
and like this moment with Roxy, I think is like a, an encapsulation of it. What I think is really fascinating about this book is she's not here to scold us, Egan, I don't think at all. Mm-hmm. She's just really interested in the emotional reasons why we engage with technology this way. And so like at the end of this Roxy chapter, she's been kind of heartbroken by reliving this memory with her father. And she on a dime is like, no, uh, what does she say? The logic of this pushes out. So instead of using it as this private like heartbreak machine, she kind of recants on her um, opinion about the collective consciousness and decides to upload everything mm-hmm. and is like, okay, I will be part of the collective because maybe that will be a better feeling than what I'm feeling on my own. Sure. And that's that that is a very like human empathetic portrayal of I think some of these impulses that Egan's interested in. Um the book I want to get to some of the sci-fi stuff that happens in this book that I really like. But I'll just because it feels like a good spot to put it in. The end of this book is this like little story about a character we've spent no time with and a time when he was a little boy and he hit a baseball real good. Mm -hmm. And it was this story that everybody in town remembered. And it happened in like 1991. Mm -hmm. And there are facts about his life that he grew up and he became a special ops sniper. And he does, and then all these other things in his life. But those are just facts. Mm -hmm. And like the closing paragraphs of this book are an argument for story and like messy memory narrative and the power that that can hold. And like the idea that you would have this, all of this information is like, it's almost meaningless. I think she mm-hmm. says something to the effect of like, knowing all of this is basically knowing nothing because you don't mm-hmm. know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the closest I think this book comes to like planting a, f- it, she saves it for the very end because she's a smart writer. But um, <laughs> there's a different version of this book where she is making that argument with every chapter of the book. Mm-hmm. And it's a series of stories of people learning this one lesson about like what if fiction rather than perfect recollection of reality. I, yeah, I think that's how you get into like Black Mirror territory where yeah. every story ends up being like what if phones but too much. Yes, yes. You, you've got to save your your overarching point for the end if you're doing a, a book that you are treating as one one narrative unit instead of like 12 small narrative units. You yep. Know? yep, 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 yep. Uh, what else in this book is neat? Uh, there's... What so okay we we got Bix he's a character who's come back what the the thing about Goon Squad for you is that it consistently even as we've recorded like hundreds and hundreds yep. of other hours of of uh, quote unquote entertainment <laughs> you keep coming you always come back to it as one episode that you like a lot and so I am wondering like what characters what themes what what did you hit in this book that you also hit in Goon Squad? Oh. Like what what were you really what were you who are you excited to revisit? What were you excited to go back to? That's interesting because I don't know that I got to go back to much other than Egan's sensibility. Mm-hmm. Um so so we do re-meet Sasha from the first book. Um there's a chapter where she's a side character. Like all Every character of like import from the first book is at best a bit player in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sasha, who has a relationship with Benny in the first book, we see her again. She has gotten married. She is making elaborate garbage art in the desert, <laughs> like art that is so big in scale that you have to like go up in a hot air balloon to like see it. You it's have like to Burning it. Man. It's a Burning Man art. It is sort of. It's more permanent than Burning Man, but mm. um, so like we we get like an oblique connection to her. We get um, in the awesome email chapter. I also I really like the chapter that Sasha's in. It's um these two guys, Miles and Drew, and Miles has like completely ruined his life and is like I I had a perfect childhood, all things considered. How did I, you know, screw up my life so bad? 
my cousin Sasha was like an unbelievable screw up and she seems to have landed very well for herself. I'm going to go bug her Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like worm my way into her life and like forms this connection with her husband who instinctively hates her, hates him. And that chapter ends with this like really short but exciting balloon sequence that involves Drew saving Miles' life. And you're like, wow, whoa. And then that, and then we never see any of those people again. (laughs) It's like, wow. Um, So that was, that reminded me of Goon Squad in terms of the like, this is a complete little unit. And I got a, I got a full little emotional arc out of it. And now I'm moving on to the next thing and the table is entirely reset. Sure. Um, Some of the main, some of the characters from, uh, the record music entertainment world of Goon Squad crop up in the big see below email chapter. That's where we get a lot of them coming back mm-hmm. uh, in roles of different size. I don't remember how much I talked about in the Goon Squad episode. There's a part in Goon Squad where people are like going to a dictator's country to like make a movie to make him look good they're doing like whitewashing of dictator just propaganda yeah yeah and it's about like artists compromising themselves to like Mm -hmm. you know get paid or whatever Mm -hmm. the ultimate sellout (laughs) um and one of the things that comes up in this email chapter that is actually uh driven by this character lulu just trying to track down her dad who's a famous movie star that doesn't know that he's her dad um all these other people have to get roped in including lulu's mom who was part of the dictator movie and the produce the producers of a documentary that might make a documentary about that whole experience and then betty salazar gets roped into it and it's just like all of these people get put in different reply chains in this email chapter that is like oh it's the the gang is here which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I think that email chapter works really well. I, it's I, I'm thinking about the email chapter and I wish it had been named per my last email instead of <laughs> see, see below. below. Yeah. I, there's just a lot of, there are a lot of good email phrases that you could use to name a chapter about sending emails. What I think uh, see below is an interesting choice is because there's a lot of people forwarding, what is really clever about this is that it is not just an epistolary chapter between like two characters. Most email that I've read in novels is like two characters exchanging letters. It's just Fifty Shades of Grey, baby. Yes, exactly. It's Fifty that. Shades of Grey. In this email, it'll be like someone will write someone an email and then they will like send that email to someone else, which is a way to introduce a new character. <laughs> Um, and so there's a lot of uh, intimate, private conversation where people are talking to each other surreptitiously about other people. And she's so smart about how she will just shift the camera over for a hot second uh, or like change who is talking to whom for a few pages so that the story can continue, but you don't get bored with any of the individual like passages. Sure. Um, she also like very smartly from a rhythmic perspective, she does this thing, which does happen. In e- like one person will send an email that is three paragraphs long. And then there will be like 10 responses that are all one line long. Mm-hmm. And then she'll move on to the next conversation. And then like two or three characters only exchange long emails with each other. It's just, masterful i don't (laughs) i was just really impressed by how riveting it was and i think the the because i know i know how bored i get reading my own emails sometimes yes i mean reading and writing emails all the time she she also that's where she sneaks in some of her humor she's a very funny writer in a in an oblique way but she will sneak in (laughs) stuff where like this old actor jazz something i don't remember his last name um, I mean, it's for with a for with a first name like Jazz, do you really need do you really need a second name? He has like multiple assistants, and anytime one of them emails him in a way that pisses him off, he'll email the other one and be like, "I'm looking for a new third assistant. Who do you think we should hire?" <laughs> um, and he's like trying to choose between movies where he's going to play a grandpa, a Santa, or a mer wizard. And he's like asking multiple people over the course of the chapter, like to tell him which role to take. 
just lots of silly stuff going on like that mm-hmm. that she's pretty clever with. Um, but the, I think what makes that really sing is that the copying other people in, BCCing people, the rhythm of like sending something to someone else when you're not supposed to gives all of the correspondence like an illicit nature that would be the all of it would be way more boring if that weren't there sure um that's that's what kind of kept my attention through that section uh and then the other i rec i referenced the other like second person chapter this is with a character named lulu who is conscripted as a citizen agent andrew Ooh. working for the government the Basic- government yeah Boo. you basically you <laughs> get a bunch of implants in your body that sort of make you into a human smartphone uh-huh. like you have a camera installed in your eye that can flash you have a microphone in your ear that can record uh you have a data port in your foot in that foot. you can plug things into to like you know, download some person's phone without I feel them like knowing. The, the human body has so many holes built into it that I don't know why you would do a new one in the foot. Um, and what, what is, kind of port is it? Are we talking like how how proprietary is the cable that I need? I don't to plug think my it, foot into stuff. It just says data, data, and it's like hmm. in it's like in your it's under one of your toes, so it's probably a small USB. I would hope that they would at least do USB-C so I could use all the cables I already have. Yeah, yeah. Sure. This whole you, chapter... You don't know, you don't know uh, about the different I USBs. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know enough to get myself into trouble. Uh-huh. I also know that I have to plug and unplug every USB whenever, except for USB-Cs because they only fit a certain way. Well, USB-Cs fit either way. USB A's are the ones oh, where you. I don't know about the USBs. USB A's, like my favorite GIF on the in the internet is the one of USB A where you try to plug it in once and it's wrong, and then you flip it over and it's also wrong, and then you flip it back over and it was right the first yeah. time. Yeah, that's 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 some USB stuff. You anyway, okay? This is this is really good. This, this is, is fun. good audio. This is fun podcasting. Um, this whole chapter is written in. Almost like an instruction manual or an, a series of like little snippets of advice. Just waiting for her to write a chapter in the fourth person, you know? Whoa. Yeah. I don't, uh, even, know that, I don't even know what that would be. The room assigned to a powerful man will be more lavish than the one you slept in while awaiting his arrival. Never look for hidden cameras. The fact that you're looking will give you away. Determine whether your designated mate seeks physical intimacy. If not, feign the wish for a nap. Your pretense of sleep will allow him to feel that he is alone. Uh, since beauties carry neither pocketbooks nor timepieces, you cannot credibly transport a, report, a recording device. A microphone has been implanted just behind the first turn of your right ear canal. Activate the mic by pressing the triangle of cartilage across your ear opening. You will hear a faint whine as recording begins. And it's just like, that's pretty humdrum, like... I could try to read some of the stuff where it actually becomes like an action espionage story where she's getting shot at on some guy's private island. But (laughs) it is pretty masterful how she moves from that type of like almost like I'm reading a recipe on the Internet about being a spy Uh into, oh, I'm still oh, I'm reading like an actual like little mini bond story of what this woman is going through Mm -hmm. um, while still using the same voice. Uh, I don't know why she does it like that. Is neat, is interesting. <laughs> it it um the the language kind of has a shift of like sometimes it sounds like instructions that she is remembering from something that she was briefed on. Sometimes it sounds like they're instructions she's giving herself, and then sometimes it sounds like she is telling the instructions to someone else who's like reading it later. Mm-hmm. And it's never delineated as such. It's just kind of like the voice kind of ping pongs that that way. Um. So to your question about like who I was excited to spend time with from Goon Squad, I will answer again like Egan. <laughs> like <laughs> it's just really interesting to watch her work and really interesting to meet the characters that she comes up with. Um a whole chapter that I won't have time to go into and and give it the the love that it deserves is Rhyme Scheme. There's this guy Lincoln. The there's two competing Companies in this novel, Mandala, who make the brain cubes, and Mondrian, who crops up later 
and Mondrian seems to be helping the people who are eluding all of the data stuff and kind of a kind of a low level resistance to this new way of life. And Lincoln works as a counter for Mandala, which is someone who analyzes data and uses okay. it to predict behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's just an interesting perspective to be in um, because everyone who works or most of the people who work at Mandala in this capacity have a brain that is like wired for this type of analytical thought. Lincoln talks about conversations as like he counts the lines of dialogue before they get awkward and like assesses the probability before that might happen. Um, He refers to people who don't think the way he does as typicals or impressionists. And Mm -hmm. he's an empiricist Mm -hmm. and she's just very careful about how she like puts this character in this particular space where he has found a calling that he is comfortable with, and yet it is also a, a story about him falling in love with a coworker and trying to quantify what random object might... He's trying to solve for X what random object in the world will be the thing that will convince her that he loves her. Okay. And if only he could literally get every object in the world, maybe he could mathematically figure it out. If only... It's pretty... Know? It's that also that chapter also has a bunch of corporate intrigue where some guy at the office is like, listen, I have helped the eluders. You can fire me, but I have analyzed that we are doing something wrong and I'm out. (laughs) Uh, And like that was a moment in the book where, again, I was reminded of like a different author. And I don't mean this as a judgment of quality. A different author would tug on that thread and make it a whole like kind of techie corporate thrillery thing about yeah yeah you know that's just not what she is up to it's just, are, it's, it is it's interesting to hear what implications she is and is not interested in in diving yep. deeper into yep and yeah. there are there are chapters that are really not reliant on any of this technology stuff at all that are just about like people connecting with each other in really uh kind of you know, authentic ways to use that word again. Quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and it all traces back to this thing that she kind of very smartly does not spell out too carefully, which is the, the tech that underlies Bix's whole career is this research by a woman named Miranda Klein. This is Mindy from Goon Squad, mm-hmm. who has like algorithmically come up with why and how humans are social animals. It's like a behavior algorithm for how people interact with one another. She had to go to an indig- a small indigenous community in Brazil where everybody knows everybody's business for like generations <laughs> so that she would have a, a small enough control group where she could come up with this algorithm. And then she, it gets sold to Bix at some point because their family doesn't have a lot of money. Um, oh, because streaming music, <laughs> because streaming technology is killing Benny Salazar's music business. <laughs> and so his daughter sells Randa Klein's technology. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's what forms the basis of Bix's first round of technology. And then this other stuff about collective consciousness stuff is his next gamble um, that that takes off. And so like there is this kind of like fire from the gods kind of thing and what are we going to do with it now that this is you know out there mm-hmm. um but ultimately egan seems to think that maybe the the imperfections and the the shaping of the stories might be a little bit more important i think okay. that's what she thinks sure um it's a good it's a good book <laughs> i i remember feeling this way at, at the end of the goon squad too is like Feeling a little more like outside of the relationship between you and the book, yeah. than, than sometimes <laughs> happens is like, yeah, boy, I'm glad you had fun because I don't, I don't know that I understand a whole lot more than I did going in. But I'm like, <laughs> that's not a, that is not a dig on you. It's just no. like that. that's the kind of book that it is, and it sounds like Egan Dunn did it again. She she wrote another one <laughs> that's gonna stick with you for a long time because you're just still chewing on little bits of it 
Yeah. For years and years. The easiest thing for me to talk about is like the craft of it. The fact that these individual stories, like no character gets a second perspective chapter really. Mm -hmm. And yet she is, and she's not telling a, a, a clear narrative arc for any of this technology. And yet the way that she doles out details across these like dozen or so stories is really effective and built and builds a world for you um i do like two quick things uh that i just have at the bottom of my notes here one andrew an idea called word casings at one one character like for sausages no one character uses it to describe almost like a spent bullet casing she wants words that actually like have effectiveness Mm -hmm. and so words that have been overused to the point where they're starting to become meaningless she refers to as word casings interesting like platitudes and things like that Mm -hmm. i think is neat and then also this is like one of the i don't know it was one of the first modern like very contemporary books that i've read that even obliquely mentions the pandemic it is not a thing that she is like she started writing this when Obama was president, she said, obviously, as you alluded to when she like, was sketching stuff after the, on the Goon Squad tour. Mm-hmm. Um, but she finished it, obviously, in the first few years of the pandemic. And there's just a few references to like characters who whose parents died during it. Or it's just like it is a thing that happened in the universe of this book. It's just a, it's a thing I have seen referenced a lot more in TV. Yeah. Because they, yeah, they can't really because that, it. and because that's it's just like more intrinsic to the lead time of the of the medium. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't want books. I'm not. I don't think I'm ready personally for books that are like tackling it head on. In a, yeah, in any... I, I'm not. I'm completely. I remain steadfastly uninterested yeah. in a in a book of first person experiences about what the pandemic pandemic was like. Like I. Great, great for uh, hindsight to have those things recorded, but I remember what it was like already. And, and yes, I don't know, just like I, I, it made parenting harder. I feel like I burned some of the best years of my thirties just like doing nothing. So you know, I don't, I don't care to remember it, frankly. Yeah, and so like these like little references to me made me feel like that, Andrew, and be like. I bet this is how other people in history have responded to art that is documenting their lived experience. Yeah. And so yeah, was, you think a bunch of vets were like running out to buy all quiet on their Western front? Like probably no, not. <laughs> no. MASH might be the exception, I guess. Um, well, but, I mean, MASH was pretty distant from the experience of. <laughs> Fair anyway, enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, just interesting to encounter in the way that it does because she's very light with that touch, but it does like make this book feel a little even even more tangible than it than it does sure that's the candy house don't go eat a candy house it's uh don't get go eating a candy house just stick to the brick and stone ones that you're used to <laughs> send us an email uh about your favorite candy song OverduePod at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media at OverduePod. Thanks the I Want Candy song is the wrong answer. That is the wrong answer. Find a different one. Or like the sugar. Oh, yeah. That one's bad, too. Oh, now I, I tried to think of another song, and all I can think about is that one. Crap. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks to Tom, Book Girl, Dark Librarian, Kyle, Neil, Justin, Jesse, and many more for reaching out in the past week. Thanks to Nick Larandris, who composed our theme music. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Over to podcast.com. our website. You can go there and see a list of the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Uh, we've got a Patreon project, patreon.com slash pod. Uh, donate to the show, support us in buying books and hosting and equipment and all the things that keep the show coming out every week, like clockwork. Yeah. Help us buy clocks so that we know when like Monday is, you know, <laughs> it's just calendars, just all I the did. stuff that, all the My stuff that we My kitchen clock need. is a little slow right now. Yeah. Well, maybe we need to buy a new one. Maybe. Maybe, maybe you need to expense that bad boy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Can I expense a single battery? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about it. Okay, great. We just got to get it on the books. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can listen to bonus episodes early, sit in on some bonus episode recordings, get access to long read projects early. Uh, we're reading The Sandman right now in a project that we like to call Sand By Me. Yeah. And we like to call it that because that's what we called it. Yeah. Duh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, just, that's just good branding. 
Uh, I think that's pretty much what's going on. Next week, we are both reading, correct, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl. And we're going to talk about all the controversy. That's, uh, just going to talk about all the all the wokeness that has descended on the Chocolate Factory in the last <laughs> couple of months. It's a work of pure imagination. Mm-hmm. That's anyway, idea. that's where we're done. We're good. <laughs> I think we're finished. Everybody, thank you for listening. Until we... D- oh, man, two candy episodes in a row. I didn't realize that we did that. Ah, oh, shoot. Oh, oh di- dang. Oh, oh, ding, dang it. There are people in this Charlie and Chocolate Factory who's riding a candy boat. Mm, Jennifer Egan could have wrote about that. No Wonka references in this book. Mm, Not that bad. I noticed anyway. All right. I mean, maybe you need to read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and then go back and read Candy House and see if you notice anything. The parallels. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.